The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
All right, welcome everyone back to our afternoon uh, budget session. We'll just wait another moment to see if, let's see who my mission, uh, Commissioner Moody will be joining us a little bit late. Uh, and then there's Commissioner Isasi. Is uh, City Clerk uh, with us or did he head back over to the conference? Mr. Kane is uh, substituting for City Clerk. The whole clerk staff is at the conference. Okay, great. Good to know. All right. Um, and there's Commissioner Lanier. So yes, so uh, I know that we were all informed of this before, but uh, oh, there's our clerk and he's at Van Andel at the conference, I see. <laughs> uh, so as you all know, we have the International Clerks Association here in Grand Rapids. Uh, we're hosting their annual conference and our city clerk has been instrumental in helping make that happen. So he's over there running the show. Um, but we're going to enter into our afternoon budget session. We have a, a couple of really important topics before us today. Uh, so what I'd like to do is just hand it over to our city manager. Um, now that this meeting is called to order, we'll have the budget workshop, an opportunity for public comment. We'll adjourn and then we will go back into executive session. Uh, so with that, I will turn to our city manager. Thank you, Mayor. And, and again, thank you, uh, commissioners, for your time this morning. We want to continue the conversation around our FY22 fiscal plan this afternoon. We uh, have a series of speakers that are lined up uh, this afternoon, but since we have a little bit more time, I will uh, suggest we take a, a pause uh, probably halfway through the presentation and I'll, I'll just read everyone's attentiveness to see if uh, that's okay and then we'll entertain questions and then move to the balance of the presentation. We'll start with uh, update overview of our of the <clears throat> legislative uh, affairs as it relates to economic recovery. Then we'll continue the conversation into housing and homelessness and specifically talk about uh, both things that we're doing in our regular operating budget and how we might anticipate taking some advantage of the funds that we've been appropriated directly as well as what's in our ecosystem, if you will, within the county and metropolitan area for relief for housing and, and <clears throat> rental support. And then we'll also talk about some of the other uh, recovery efforts that we have planned and uh, you had specifically requested information around uh, the cannabis industry and what's in the budget. So with that, I'll turn it over to uh, Ms. Uh, Karen Ferry. Thank you, city manager. And I just wanted to provide a uh, brief update on um, some of the things that are coming um, in uh, from the federal government. Uh, Lou, if you could advance to the next slide, please. Thank you. Uh, President Biden and Congress have been working together to provide emergency relief and ongoing investment in critical areas of need. Um, and as, as you all, uh, I think, are aware at this point, the American Rescue Plan um, was signed into law and provides direct funding to states and municipalities, fundings for vaccines and distribution, and direct aid to families, among other things. Um, and then um, there have been announcements recently on the American Jobs Plan, and this is um, a $2 trillion uh, plan put forward by President Biden for critical investment in infrastructure initiatives. And just recently, um, I believe it was less than two weeks ago, the American Families Plan was announced by President Biden, um, and that's $1.8 trillion to provide direct aid to families and children, and it's a combination of task tax cuts and investments. Next slide, please. Um, and so I just wanted to drill down a little bit further um, into each of those and um, uh, speak a little bit about the American Rescue Plan. 
which um, does provide $350 billion in new federal fiscal assistance for states and municipalities. And the city is um, estimated to receive 94 million um, from that amount over two fiscal years. Um, the US Department of Treasury did um, just release the guidance finally yesterday afternoon on that um, allocation. Um, and so city staff continues to uh, go through those guidelines just to see um, you know, what restrictions or um, guidelines might be in place on those dollars. Um, the American Rescue Plan also provides $7.25 billion for the Paycheck Protection Program for businesses, $2.5 billion in emergency rental assistance, $400 million for support to homeless services providers, eviction prevention assistance, and utility shutoff prevention assistance, $300 million in relief for firefighters across two FEMA programs, and then also the Shuttered Venues Operators Grant, which provides emergency assistance for eligible venues affected by the COVID-19 pandemic as follows. There's over $16 billion in grants to shuttered venues. Um, and grants can be up to 45% of the gross earned revenue. And there is $2 billion reserved for eligible applicants with up to 50 full-time employees. And then next, I just wanted to talk just very briefly about the American Jobs Plan, um, which is President Biden's plan to provide over $2 trillion for infrastructure initiatives and would include the following highlights. $621 billion towards transportation infrastructure and resilience, which includes roads, ports, and transit, and $174 billion for the investment in vehicle electrification. There's $213 billion to develop and preserve more than 2 million affordable and sustainable places to live, and $111 billion for clean drinking water infrastructure, $100 billion for broadband, and $100 billion for improving electric grid systems. And then finally, the American Families Plan that was just released by President Biden would provide direct aid to families and children and is a combination of tax cuts and investments. Um, and here are some highlights. Two free years of community college for millions of Americans, universal access to high quality, free pre-K for three and four-year-olds, an increase of up to approximately $1,400 in Pell Grants and allowing DREAMers to access that funding, ensuring that no one earning under 150% of the state medium income pays more than 7% of their income on high quality childcare uh, for children under five. It would provide comprehensive paid family and medical leave and finally would expand tax credits for workers and families. So I'll introduce the housing and homelessness uh, category and then we'll move on and I'll be assisted today by Ryan Kilpatrick and Kanye Bahaj. Next slide, please. So as the city manager said, and is represented on this slide, there's over $100 million in the housing and homelessness ecosystem in Kent County. The city's fiscal 22 budget contributes $19.5 million of that investment. In terms of what's happening through the community development department, you can see that uh, we invest in housing code compliance. It keeps the quality of our housing uh, stock in good shape. Uh, Lead-based paint is a significant investment of 1.2 million. Uh, the uh, neighborhood investment plan that includes our community development block grant, home grants, which support housing development, 
emergency shelter grants and the solution grants, I should say, and then the justice assistant grants all help to uh, move housing forward. And the largest investments there are increasing affordable housing supply at 1.4 million and improving the condition of existing housing at 2.98 million. Then um, also in the community development department, we have the homeless coordinator, which is the second year investment for that position. And then a new uh, position for additional housing and led staff support. Other city departments and initiatives include the housing practice leader, which is um, you'll hear from uh, Mr. Kilpatrick later in this presentation, the uh, creation of the housing fund, which we briefed you on, you'll hear a little bit more about today, uh, working through the state land bank to maintain properties that are under its control, our hot team, uh, water bill assistance, and uh, the refuse millage uh, subsidized uh, work that we do for um, households that uh, that needed in the refuse service. And so all that together, uh, along with money coming from the federal uh, government, uh, totals about $100 million. Next slide. Now I'll turn it to Mr. Kilpatrick. Thank you, Rick. Uh, good afternoon. I'm gonna provide a, a very brief update uh, or actually review of the housing needs assessment data as context for the next couple of slides. Uh, so just a quick reminder, we conducted the housing needs assessment um, over the course of last year. This included some uh, pandemic related data, but mostly this is pre-pandemic related. Um, <clears throat> we knew at the time the housing needs assessment was released in June of 2020 that we had roughly 25,000 households in Grand Rapids who were cost burdened, meaning they were spending more than 30% of their household income on housing. Uh, we also knew the households of color are most likely to be cost burdened as compared to white households um, and less likely to be homeowners. Uh, we found that homeowners on average are spending much less than 20% of their income on housing, whereas renters, um, more than half of all renters are spending more than 30% of their income on housing. Uh, and lastly, uh, we, we discovered that uh, we knew anecdotally that there was a significant demand for more housing but we got a lot more specific in terms of the data. Uh, so we now know that we need roughly 5,300 additional rental units between now and 2025, and roughly 3,500 additional for sale units. Um, and the, the lack of housing supply overall is one of our root causes for a lack of affordability. And so we need to focus on all of the elements of stability, supply, and subsidy, but supply is really a critical element along the way. So um, that in, 2021, um, I want to give you a rough understanding of what it costs to build new construction, uh, because going forward, as we talk about housing supply, we really want to support that, but we need to be realistic about what that costs. Um, and so in order to ensure that a portion of that new supply is affordable, we've got to be realistic about, about where our costs come from, where the financing comes from, and how we make up those differences. So when we talk about rental supply, um, if we're talking about apartments, Roughly in the marketplace today, it costs between $150,000 and $200,000 per residential apartment to build new. Um, this assumes that uh, this is the baseline costs. So when we're talking about more complicated urban sites that require dewatering or environmental costs or additional legal, um, these costs per unit go up. So when we divide those costs over the course of 12 months in a 10 to 15 year investment cycle, this is why we're seeing new apartments coming online at $1,000 a month and more, uh, because it is expensive to build today. 
similarly, when we look at the cost to build new uh, for sale product, whether it's a single family detached or attached, um, the lowest price point that we've seen in the market as of late is about $235,000 for a relatively small unit. The average is closer to $285,000 to $290,000, with traditional single-family detached homes on larger lots being closer to $325,000. So this isn't to to be a wet blanket. It's frankly to be realistic about where we are in terms of construction costs today. Um, Lumber is up over 200% over the last year. We do anticipate that some of those material costs begin to come down. Um, As we emerge from pandemic-related staffing and we see an uptick in production in materials and an uptick in labor supply, Um, but as we really focus on how do we bring more supply to market, we want to be very honest with you about what the cost of construction is today. Um, And so we're going to have to think about how do we leverage every tool in the toolbox in order to get more supply online and in order to ensure that a share of that new supply is affordable. Next slide, please. So uh, looking at 2020 in terms of housing production, uh, this data was prepared by John Overman in the Development Services Department. You can see here the total number of units that have been constructed uh, between the portion of of 2020 after July 1st and now the first few months of 2021. We have 624 total units that have been approved and are currently in development. Um, with 406 of those new and 218 a remodel or renovation, and roughly 100 of those units being income restricted in one way or another. There's there's another set of units that are in um, the pre-approval process that you all remember going through the LIHTC application process that have been submitted for financing. Um, So we anticipate there being uh, an allocation of additional tax credits for more income restricted units later this year but this is our tally so far as of um, this point in the fiscal year. Next slide, please. Uh, So this data is coming from the economic development team, um, gives you a better sense of the total number of housing units in in each project and the level of support that has been provided by the economic development team. You're seeing here um, certain types of incentives, whether it's um, the Department of Environment and Great Lakes or Eagle providing a grant Um, the Economic Development Corporation bonds, Brownfield TIF, Obsolete Property Redevelopment Act uh, abatements, or Brownfield combined with neighborhood enterprise zones. There have been a lot of units that have been supported in one way or another by the Economic Development Team, a total of 396 units. Um, 50 of those are income restricted at 60% AMI or below. Um, Another 346 units have not been income restricted But even those units at market rate are critical to the overall conversation. We've got to make sure we've got both market rate and income restricted units entering into the system because there's fierce competition out there right now. Um, And with inadequate supply, it's those households with the most income to spend who are out competing everybody else. Next slide, please. So as you'll recall, we've been talking about um, the reestablishment of the housing fund, um, that that fund would be managed under a fiduciary relationship by the Grand Rapids Community Foundation, um, but overseen in terms of its spending priorities by an appointed board by the city commission and the normal appointments committee process. The initial seed funding there is estimated to be $900,000 with a short-term goal by 2025 of $20 million or more. Uh, We have recommended an 11 member board to represent the community interests 
We anticipate that that board should have a deep background in both housing and finance, and that will include lived experience. And we want to make sure that we're prioritizing the use of limited funds over time to achieve a maximum impact while continuing to grow the fund. So we've got to balance the priority of increasing the size of that fund so that we can maximally leverage those dollars in the future while simultaneously dealing with the pressing issues that we have on the table today. So we'll really need to make sure that we've got strong partnerships with the Housing Commission, with our nonprofit partners, the Brownfield Redevelopment Authority, um, and our for-profit developers, while also aligning with uh, city staffing departments uh, across the board. So our early priorities um, as we go into uh, the process of defining and selecting potential board members, uh, we wanna make sure that we're prioritizing homeowner assistance. Homeownership is gonna be a theme going forward, um, that we're also prioritizing gap financing for priority projects that have been supported by neighborhoods, um, and that we're prioritizing the acquisition and pre-development for nonprofit partners um, who can get more work done if they have the funding available to do it. Next slide, please. So preserving existing affordable housing while growing the overall housing supply. Um, these are important objectives that we've got to balance and continue to carry forward simultaneously. So we do still have some naturally occurring affordable housing across the city in every neighborhood um, and making sure that we're leveraging our financial incentives to make sure that we're preserving existing affordability where we can and simultaneously providing support for new housing supply at every price point. Uh, we want to make sure that we are not supporting additional displacement, but we do need to be sure that we're adding additional supply to provide for all of those households that want to live uh, within the city of Grand Rapids. So this includes continuing to actively support new LIHTC investments. City staff has really been incredible in terms of the way that they have supported LIHTC applications in the past, um, from the planning department to community development and economic development. Um, the way that they have streamlined the process to support LIHTC developers has been outstanding. Um, Grand Rapids is one of the leaders in the state in terms of leveraging those tax credit projects. Um, we want to continue to do that going forward. Um, also, we want to be able to utilize publicly owned land to support additional housing. Um, that's going to include both land bank owned properties as well as other city owned properties that aren't being utilized for other uses. And then establish that dedicated source of funding to support greater affordability as we do all of those things above. So that's where that housing fund comes in. It can be the gap filler in a lot of these projects. Next slide, please. Prioritizing homeownership opportunities, especially in neighborhoods of focus. Um, this is one of those things that I think we need to spend a lot more time on over the coming year um, in the following years. I think we heard this both from commissioners as well as from the community. Um, I've been out giving presentations to every one of the neighborhood associations, and we hear this a lot, that homeownership opportunities is a priority. Um, so part of this is to establish both five-year and 10-year goals for homeownership among black and brown households, um, and to align the resources that we have in order to achieve equitable outcomes as it relates to homeownership. We also want to leverage those city-controlled funds to support existing homeowners as well as first-time homebuyers and neighborhoods of focus. That means all of that great work that community development is doing, in addition to conversations we've had about improving energy efficiency and talking about adding opportunities for accessory dwelling units as a secondary source of income that simultaneously provides more housing supply. Um, we've, we've been friendly calling this the whole homes initiative, um, but we wanna spend some more time in this coming year to really talk about how do we package all of these tools together 
so that our homeowners and future homeowners in neighborhoods of focus and across the city have the ability to leverage all of those tools to maximize benefit and affordability. And then lastly, we also want to think about how do we enhance the opportunities for wealth creation um, for households of color and developers of color and neighborhoods of focus and across the city um, to be sure that we're leveraging opportunities to both create new housing supply while simultaneously preserving affordability and uh, creating opportunities for wealth creation for people of color in the city. Um, these are going to be critical goals that we've got to hold simultaneously um, and that we can leverage a lot of different priorities all at once. Next slide, please. So in terms of implementation, we really want to be looking at those land bank lots. Um, economic development team has been looking at a lot of opportunities to get some of those lots off the books and into the hands of both for-profit and nonprofit developers, provided that we're meeting the city's goals and criteria. Um, really want to make sure that, again, we're thinking about homeownership for low and moderate income households, as well as some rental opportunities. We do need more rental opportunities in addition to homeownership. So deploying those limited housing fund resources to ensure priority projects are fully funded. This is going to be another critical goal going forward. Um, we'll focus on acquisition, on gap financing, and on homeownership. Um, but then we'll also need to think about where do we have opportunities while we're working on the master plan to establish incremental adjustments to the zoning ordinance near transit corridors and high traffic corridors where we can allow more small scale and missing middle development opportunities uh, make those simpler to execute on um, while still supporting the goals and objectives of the neighborhood. And lastly, uh, where we can, we want to either offset or eliminate those city development costs when they're related to utility connections or development fees on affordable housing projects, whether it's homeownership or rental projects, um, to the extent that we can either offset or eliminate those costs, all the better. Next slide, please. So going forward, um, part of the work that Housing Next is proposing to do over the next fiscal year um, is to work to initiate that affordable housing preservation strategy to really think about how do we make sure that that naturally occurring affordable housing that still exists in our neighborhoods can be maintained. Um, all the ways that we can support the master plan update process, um, walking alongside the planning department and the neighborhood organizations to clearly understand the housing data that we have available to us and the myriad of opportunities we have to implement on preserving affordability while adding more housing supply. Um, working alongside city staff to stand up the housing fund um, to make sure that we've got a, a fully experienced board appointed and that they understand the opportunities and challenges ahead of us. Catalyzing new housing supply at all price points. This is working with um, city leadership at all levels to ensure that additional housing supply uh, is coming online as quickly as we need it to. Leveraging public property to achieve citywide and neighborhood goals. We've been evaluating all of the publicly owned property across the city, um, determining where do we have opportunities to leverage that property in order to get more housing supply. Um, and then, of course, working seamlessly with all of our departments, um, jumping in where asked, uh, providing updates whenever necessary, and then thinking through uh, where do we have new opportunities that crop up either as, as a result of federal funding or as a result of local needs um, and just being on call as needed. And I think we're ready to go on to the next slide and our next presenter. Thank you, Ryan. The community development department works with developers and supports affordable housing in a variety of ways. Um, core activities include facilitating the city's annual investments of, of community development block grant 
and home investment partnerships program funds that provide gap financing to a number of projects. Um, staff also evaluate applications for the payment in lieu of taxes program, which is important to securing low-income housing tax credits from the Michigan State Housing Development Authority. Um, here are um, all of the projects in FY20 and 21 that received funding um, and or obtained a pilot um, from the city. From FY20 through fiscal year 21 year to date, 289 affordable housing units have been completed and 423 are underway. There's another 18 that are planned in FY22. And um, the next slide shows photos of a few of these projects that are in our community and um, an underway. Uh, next slide, please. Thank you. Um, the city's pilot ordinance was changed in 2018. Um, this allowed developers to elect one of two options for um, their payment in lieu of taxes terms. The first is receiving a 4% pilot, and the second is to receive a 1% pilot um, and make a contribution to um, a 2% contribution to the affordable housing fund. Um, since the ordinance was amended, 36 um, pilots were conditionally approved. And of those 13 are currently on the pilot role and have contributed nearly $23,000 to the affordable housing fund. The Community Development Department also works to preserve housing stock, um, housing affordability and safety uh, through operation of, the, of our housing rehabilitation programs. Um, a total of 72 homes have been improved um, so far in FY21. Um, with 49 of those receiving lead-based paint remediation, making their homes lead safe. By the end of the fiscal year, it's anticipated that another 26 units will be completed and 10 of those will address um, lead-based paint hazards. The FY22 budget includes additional staffing for the Community Development Department to support a variety of activities focused on lead and affordable housing. This includes facilitating modification of the rental property certification program to include lead-based paint inspections, um, to work um, to attract and retain lead abatement and residential construction contractors for our programs, um, because with the um, current market, um, contractors are very difficult to come by um, as right now with, with a lot of work going on in the community. Um, and also to enhance education awareness of re lead remediation programs, making sure that the community is aware of the programs that we have available um, within our, with, from the city and elsewhere um, to take um, advantage of. Um, to actively work on resource development and policy and advocacy related to um, these issues. And then to also work with the Economic Development Department to establish a compliance monitoring program for non-federally funded affordable housing projects um, so that we can ensure that we can maintain um, uh, affordable housing to projects that we aren't necessarily um, putting our federal resources in. Next slide, please. We know that uh, affordable and safe housing is key to addressing issues of homelessness along with um, having access to supportive services. So the city, um, in particular the Community Development Department, actively engages in work uh, with community partners to address homelessness issues. Here's some data trend, um, trends on homelessness in Kent County. Uh, you can see that the total number of persons experiencing homelessness has steadily risen from 2016, uh, peaked in 2019, and is showing a drop in 2020. Next slide, please. 
This slide shows trends in the homeless point in time, or what's also known as the pit count from 2016 to 2001. Um, the federal government requires our local housing continuum of care to conduct an annual count. Um, this occurred on January 27th this year, and the intent is to count all persons who are unsheltered and those who are in emergency and in transitional um, housing. In FY22, uh, or sorry, in the FY22 budget, um, the city is making significant investment in responding to homelessness. There's $1.5 million of American Rescue Plan Act funds planned to support the homeless outreach team. Uh, Chief Lehman and Chief Payne highlighted this work in their presentations last week. Um, they have three teams working um, since March and have social workers and a recovery coach embedded on those teams um, through a partnership with Network 180. Uh, the combined budget for police and fire is $1.1 million and the contract with Network 180 is just over $400,000. Uh, annual investments of federal program funds was completed on April 27th. So nearly $775,000 of community development block grant, emergency solutions grants, and home investment partnership funds will support eviction prevention, rapid rehousing, and short-term rental assistance in the upcoming fiscal year. The city will also continue to support the homelessness coordinator position in the community development department. Uh, Ms. Britton performs a variety of work, including supporting the HOT team and our internal homelessness work group. She's assisted in coordinating uh, with community partners for services and program initiatives. Um, some of examples of this work has been um, the Monroe Center Targeted Outreach Project um, that was a partnership with Community Builders, uh, participating in a number of committees for implementation of the FUSE initiative that's led by Dwelling Place and working with the Kent County Health Department to establish COVID vaccine clinics for homeless persons. Since last fall, Ms. Britton has been successful in conduct in coordinating a number of city services um, and responses um, in preparation and preparing an action plan for our internal work group. Uh, she's established an ongoing partnership uh, between our community-based uh, street outreach work group um, and our HOT team. Uh, the group comprises community service providers that conduct street outreach for their homeless clients. And um, she's really worked to help them um, establish a relationship um, so that the hot, so that our HOT team can also provide support to their outreach efforts. She's developed a landing page on the city's website, prepared frequently asked question documents and city responses for, to a variety of issues related to homelessness. And she has um, supported um, the development of the HOT dashboard um, with help from Zach Teal and Becky Jo Clover. And this slide shows you um, some data points that are being tracked by HOT through this dashboard. Um, this is the first quarter of the outcome measurements. Um, of particular significance here, I believe, is the top row. Uh, the first two boxes uh, indicate the number of persons that are diverted from jail and emergency departments, which we know come with a high um, systems cost for um, accessing those services. Um, hot team interventions also supported referrals for mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. Next slide, please. 
As mentioned previously, um, the city engages in a number of community and systems initiatives addressing homelessness. Um, two of those initiatives include FUSE and Built for Zero. Um, FUSE is an initiative led by Dwelling Place to target the highest users of high cost services uh, like emergency rooms, jails, um, shelters, and clinics. The approach establishes a by name list of individuals using Medicaid and the homeless management information systems data uh, to move individuals um, into permanent supportive housing <clears throat> and to make sure that um, those with the most need um, are able to access those services. Built for Zero is a new initiative just getting started with the Coalition to End Homelessness. Um, this is a four-year engagement with Community Solutions, which is a nonprofit um, that has assisted more than 80 um, communities across the country. Our community will focus on achieving functional zero for the chronically homeless population. Um, that, and this initiative also uses a by name list to target resources to those with the highest need. And in doing so, it will also allow us to maintain real time data. In the current fiscal year, the city invested $3.2 million in housing and homelessness through the Economic Resiliency and Recovery Investment Strategy. Uh, this slide highlights projects that received funding in round one of those investments. Um, and they're focused on housing security efforts, such as providing emergency shelter, rent and utility and eviction prevention assistance and rapid rehousing and street outreach services for homeless persons. Um, mortgage foreclosure counseling and tenant eviction legal services are also being provided in the community. And the Lelucha Fund, um, which has been completed at this point, has provided rent and mortgage assistance to undocumented persons. Other existing and new resources for housing and homelessness include the Emergency Rental Assistance Program funded through the United States Treasury. Um, the state of Michigan received um, $622 million. This is a program that's being administered uh, through the Michigan State Housing Development Authority, and they refer to it as CIRA, um, COVID Emergency Rental Assistance. Um, Kent County, um, which includes uh, residents of Grand Rapids, have act, um, um, has a reserve of $40 million. <clears throat> and since April um, 7th, when the program uh, portal was available and launched, um, there's been 679 applications and 70% of those are Grand Rapids residents. Um, and $900,000 has been paid out today. It's my understanding that <clears throat> every day, more and more applications um, are pouring into that portal. So. That, that was information as of last week, and I'm sure there's more since then. The, um, also, the American Recovery Plan Act um, has uh, a round two era award alloc or allocation in there, and the state of Michigan anticipates receiving $50 million, or sorry, $500 million uh, through that program. Um, which um, would plan for um, Kent County, and again, including Grand Rapids residents to receive um, access to $35 million in that round two program. The American Recovery Plan Act also has homelessness assistance and supportive services program um, reserve of $5 billion for states and local governments. They are using the Home investment partnership formula to allocate those resources. 
Um, the city of Grand Rapids recently received our notification that we will receive $4.6 million directly uh, for this program. Um, so that's significantly more than our annual allocation for home dollars that we receive from the federal government. Um, and this is specific to provide housing, shelter, and supportive services for peer, um, even though it's the home program, but it's specific for addressing issues of homelessness, um, including um, development of affordable housing specifically for that population. Um, we received our notification, but we are um, cannot move forward until we receive more information on the, what they call the implementing notice that, that the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development provides. Um, and um, that is anticipated to be here by fall. So collectively, housing and homelessness, just from the investments that we've um, just talked about, um, come to nearly $1 million when you um, consider the city's investments and, um, and these um, additional um, um, American Rescue Plan Act dollars. Other resources that we know are in the American Recovery Act plan, um, but we are not sure exactly at this point how and when we may be able to access those, but believe that our community will be able to take advantage of them, is um, there are emergency housing vouchers um, that, that are reserved in that plan, five, um, $5 billion to public housing agencies um, to provide approximately 70 million I'm sorry, 70,000 emergency housing vouchers available um, nationwide. Um, our housing um, commission director, Lindsay Reams, has just, uh, just received notification that uh, the Grand Rapids Housing Commission will be getting some of these vouchers, um, but there's not information of how many just yet. So she's working with the um, Coalition and Homelessness, the city and others um, in preparation for that award. There's homeowner assistance fund dollars um, also in this act, um, nearly $10 billion. Um, and it does have a minimum of $50 million for each state. Um, fair housing services are also outlined in the act, um, up to $20 million. Um, those resources will be allocated by HUD directly to fair housing organizations. Um, and we're hopeful that um, our local organization will receive some of those resources. Um, housing counseling services, there's $100 million in this act. Um, again, this is to support um, through HUD approved housing counseling intermediary, intermediaries, um, state housing finance agencies. Uh, so, for example, MISHTA and uh, affiliates of neighbor works organizations. Uh, the low income home energy assistance, there's $4.5 billion to states as well. So again, these are resources that we know um, are available in the act, and we will be keeping an eye on those to determine how our community may access and take advantage of those resources. Thank, thank you, Connie, um, Ryan, and Eric. Mayor, I think it would be appropriate if we pause now and see what questions uh, you or commissioners may have uh, before we move on to the balance of the presentation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, City Manager. I um, I, I have uh, two questions I'll pose and then I'll open it up uh, to my colleagues around the commission. Uh, uh, well, I also want to just say thank you to the presenters, but also for all the work that you've done this past year. Um, I know many of us have been a part of a lot of 
these conversations as we look at how to best um, support individuals struggling with housing uh, and uh, individuals experiencing home, uh, homelessness. So thank you. Uh, Connie, I have a question on uh, slide 32. I'm just, I'm curious um, it, about the difference in the amount warded versus the amount expended uh, with some of these organizations that we're working with. I'm curious what the reason for that is. Um, obviously, we know that there's an urgent need. And then my my second question, I'll just put them both out there. Uh, and maybe Ryan, you can speak to this or maybe it's a conversation I could follow up and have with the city manager. And um, that is that is in looking at the potential strategies to help with the housing crisis and help get those housing units more affordable, especially around single family homes. Over the past several years, there's been a lot of conversations about using Brownfield TIF, particularly in partnership with some of the other tools and braiding that together, um, even with Land Bank. Uh, and uh, you know, we've talked about a whole host of other, of other ideas. I know that there are some other cities because I have these conversations with mayors um, who are being very, very creative in using Brownfield TIF to make that gap, to really fill that gap. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that uh, and if we really need to take a deeper dive into that. So um, those are my two questions and then I'll open up for my colleagues. Okay, uh, Mayor, in regard to um, slide 32, I believe that's the one that's titled Housing and Homelessness Iris Investments. Is that correct? the shows the yes. investments okay so um some of these so we really um when we implemented um some of these fun the fundings and executed contracts it was intended to look at other community resources so some of them didn't start until january um oh. because, so for example when you look at um the salvation army rent assistance because they had the um funds that came in from MISHTA for that particular service, and they had $2 million that they were working with. We tried to time it so that we, we thought there might be a lag between that rolling off um, and the start of this um, the ERA program, which launched in, in um, April. And so we really were focusing on making sure that there was not a gap in services. Um, so we staged the start of those contracts um, a little later. Um, and also um, keeping in mind that our reporting um, timeline um, just uh, is a little bit different than this meeting. So uh, we will be getting updates um, from organizations in terms of expenditures and units completed actually on the 15th of this month. So um, we'll have new information there. But also then when you look at um, services like rapid rehousing, for example, uh, community rebuilders, you're building in um, uh, uh, work that is, you won't see the expense because it's a longer term rental assistance that's being provided. So we're actually reserving dollars that go into the future. Um, so you're not going to see them expended until those rents have been paid. Does that make sense? So there's yeah. some timing issues there. Um, but things seem to be relatively on pace based on their contracts. Um, and then I should mention too, I guess, um, uh, under emergency shelter community builders, there's the bridge housing. Um, there's also a partnership um, with uh, uh, Family Promise um, in that work as well for family sheltering. Um, and so, and th those relationships and contracts are just getting underway. Thank you. Thank you, Connie. And Ryan, I don't know if you want to touch on that or if that is really a, a larger conversation that we have after this budget session. 
Uh, yeah, so I think Brownfield TIF is a, is a critical tool. It's a big opportunity. Um, the the legislative language that exists today under Act 381 is less than clear as to how eligible expenses can be reimbursed and when. Um, there are absolutely communities that are getting creative with this. Um, Muskegon being one, um, City of Grand Haven is one where we're completing a project right now with homes that will be for sale for $139,000 and up. Um, so there are opportunities, but I think that um, staff is is clearly being um, very diligent about reviewing uh, what is enabled within the existing legislation and whether or not um, a, a additional language may be necessary to make this a bit more clear. Okay. Well, maybe I, I. Okay, that's helpful. I'll I'll follow up with city manager then and maybe have a conversation because I know that there are cities. Um, far more cities than just those two and I'm sure you know as well that are that are using brownfield TIF pretty creatively and um, and I recognize maybe that's a, a larger conversation as it comes to how we interpret the legislation. Mayor I would also add to uh, Ryan's answer that we're using the local brownfield revolving fund very creatively to help lower the cost of development of uh, LIHTC um, developments, for example, in other even scattered site housing. So we have done a very innovative work in that regard. And we're happy to have the conversation about the larger question. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Eric. And I, and I do appreciate the revolving fund and I'm, I'm glad that we have that um, to be able to use. But recognizing that the gap between the cost of construction and uh, affordability uh, I think we're going to have to get much more aggressive with using every tool that we have at our disposal. So thank you for that. Uh, commissioners, other questions uh, specific to what's been presented so far? Commissioner Lanier? Thanks, Mayor. I actually have the same question about slide 32, so I'll save that one. But Karen, I had a question on slide nine and um i don't know if it's really tied to slide nine but that was the last slide of of your kind of sharing the american the multiple acts or plans that uh, have come from the federal government so this was the american families plan but i'm just curious to know um and i know we heard a lot of the cares act funding in summary last year um, what's, what was the total amount of the CARES Act funding? And then what's the total of, I think you already have the total amount for all of the plans that are coming down um, for the ARPA dollars. So I'm just curious to know like a comparison in dollars. And then the other question is, um, as we are receiving, as we're looking at so many of the grants and, and funds that are being distributed, I'm wondering if um, how this will impact the dollars that we may not have received from businesses um, for, for, for example, property taxes or personal property um, taxes um, in other ways. I, I don't think it'll necessarily impact um, employee taxes because of, because they weren't physically present, but I'm just wondering if if there have been some outstanding um, personal property taxes that maybe if they receive some of the grants, um, I'm thinking in particular the the one for 
the shuttered venues. I know we've had a number of venues that have been closed for a significant amount of time. Um, and I don't know if they have closed or, you know, if they're behind in taxes, but just curious to know if, if we're tying those two things together as the dollars are being disseminated across sectors as well as the dollars that we're getting. Thank you, Commissioner. So I just want to, I'm going to have to get back with you on the CARES Act um, versus, I think you're looking for sort of the total amount that we may have received through CARES Act funding and various sources um, in comparison to the information I presented today on um, the American Rescue Plan, uh, the Jobs Plan, and the Families Plan. Is that that's correct. And because our, our funding from CARES came through the county, it would be dollars that came to the community through the CARES okay. Act funding. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll have to get back with you on that. Okay. And then um, as far as I'm not sure I totally understood, um, and I see the city manager is um, on as well. I'm not sure I understood the, the next part of your question as it related to funding that may be available through like the shuttered venues operators grant. Um, <laughs> Commissioner. Yeah, probably more of a question. That one is probably more of a question for Molly because so what I'm thinking is, is businesses that um, have been impacted negatively by COVID, um, some of some of which have closed. Um, but certainly they have been closed, you know, for a temporary amount of time, a significant amount of time. So I'm, I'm wondering if we have seen a loss in revenue because of that, that potentially if they get the grant, they would be able to pay personal taxes, for example, that they weren't able to pay before because they didn't have the resources to do so because their businesses were closed. Molly, does that make sense? sense? Yeah, you're looking at losses losses from from our local businesses i can get with our income tax administrator see if we can extrapolate that but again i might not not be able to do that until we close the you know this tax year as well because the data is we're halfway through you know you know the the pandemic as well so so um okay yeah, yeah. and it's, it's yeah, more I'll, I'll see what i can dig up yeah i'm more curious than anything else but you know i know we are looking at our own budget and looking at the dollars that we will receive as a city, but sometimes indirectly we'll receive dollars because, you know, businesses or families are now taken care of in other ways. So they can perhaps pay taxes, you know, property taxes and other things that they may not have been able to pay before um, in light of having access to funding in different ways. Right. And, and we have seen the, um, you know, just just generally, we have seen evidence of individual aid, you know, the the stimulus payments that were paid to individuals, um, just evidence of that uh, really helping, you know, individual residents of Grand Rapids because our receivables actually didn't jump significantly or anything, which indicates that people are keeping up with their water, sewer bills, things like that, and, and taking advantage of the programs that have been offered in the past year. Thank you. Molly, while you're on, so just to be clear, so we, I thought we shared when we uh, did the recapitulation earlier in your presentation around the CARES funding, all the funding that we received from CARES, FEMA, everything from the first round was roughly around a little over 20, 20 million or so, and about seven of that came from the county. 
through our allocation that we got directly from the county. Is that accurate? Uh, correct. We received uh, just under 6.5 million from the county. And um, we also received other CARES vehicles uh, of funding, though, like the, the public safety, public health reimbursement program. That was from the state. There was the CBTRS replacement money. Uh, that was also through the state. So we received CARES Act from multiple multiple sources. So I, if you need a, if you'd like a refresher though of all the, um, what what comprises of that approximate $20 million we receive, I can, I can send that out to you commissioners just so you have it. Yeah, no, I was just wondering about the, the total amount. So if it was the 22 million, that's, that's kind of what I was wondering as I was trying to compare this 94 million, like how does it compare to, to those previous dollars? Thank you. Thanks city manager. All right, Commissioner, are there questions or comments? Commissioner Ruppert, did I see your hand up? No, but I will just make one comment. I just want to, I, I do want to affirm these uh, strategies on slide 19, these implementation strategies for, for increasing access to affordable housing and home, increasing home ownership. I just think that I appreciate the, the breadth of them. Some of them are things that the city can do. Some of them are things that we need to update in our code. It's just, I, I just like the thinking on, on that slide about that, but thanks everybody for the presentation. Thanks, Commissioner. Commissioner Yusasi. Thank you, Mayor. Um, thanks, thanks again for the presentations. I just have three questions. One, um, thanks Karen for, Ms. Varick for the overview of the different funding and I'd be interested to see that. I think almost like a running total of what we received from last year I guess that's calendar year and then what we're, you know, potentially receiving in this next fiscal year would be great to have that kind of running total for comparison. So, um, but I also had a question on as we think about these monies being expended in our to our community, Ms. Farrick, is there any sort of models or any sort of idea of do we, is there a, a data set where we could understand if the percentage of people in our, in the city of Grand Rapids who did receive the stimulus dollars you know, what was three of them potentially, the third one maybe dependent on people's income. So is there any um, is there any information that could share with us that, you know, a certain percentage in the city of Grand Rapids, you know, did receive that or, you know, are there others who, who may have not received that funding yet? That is a good question. And I am not sure if that information is available or not um, because, you know, there are, there are various reasons that maybe individuals may or may not have received. Um, and so I just don't know if that information is available, but I can certainly look into it. Okay, thank you. I mean, I think we've heard, um, you know, in my past employment, we were a tax preparation site. And so we saw more people this year really reach out to do taxes to hopefully, you know, wanting to get that done for the stimulus. I know there are other organizations that were really actively involved, um, Kent County Tax Credit Coalition, Project Green, others that were really focused on making sure people understood what they what they were eligible to for them, the benefits that they were potentially receiving. So I think even though we don't have purview over that, I think it's a good, another good piece to understand um, how our community, community is being impacted. So thank you. The The second is um, for Ms. Bohach. Thanks for the presentation. I know um, I, I was interested in the Sarah Dollars piece 
again, in past employment had asked, I think the, the database was still being developed at that, that, that time, sort of in, in late March around um, um, if we we're going to be able to tell um, disaggregate, you know, where those applications were coming from out of the city of Grand Rapids. So we've talked quite a bit in all of these budget presentations and today about neighborhoods of focus and other areas. So do you know if there is that disaggregation capability available to understand out of that 70% of appl applicants in Grand Rapids? Um, so this is um, information that goes into, this is Mishta's application portal and they have the access to the data. I don't know the answer to that, but I can um, call and find out. Um, I obtained the information just to be about um, Kent County versus City of Grand Rapids applications. So, but I can circle back and, and find out if they have that ability. Okay. And then my last question was, um, thanks for sharing the dashboard um, where you had the diversions from, you know, the emergency room and, and jail stay. So certainly I think we know the significant cost of both of those um, interventions with individuals. It has the total number of what was diverted. Am I not, maybe I'm just not seeing it on the, on the slides. It's not coming through well in the printed copy. Is, does it have a total number that it's out of like what, what is that, the, the overall data piece that we're using? So what is the total and then 17 out of whatever that might be? Or I think that was the number that I saw yeah. I think, on, the, on the jail. So I guess I would look at it in terms of, they have a total number of engagements in one of those boxes, which I think was 256. So that's how many, um, I guess, interactions in terms of engagements out in the community okay. they have during that period of time. And then there's a larger number of like 800 and some um individuals that they engaged with through that process so i guess i wouldn't um equate it to um i'm not sure if we can get you to the number that uh, the the correlation that you're looking for um but i think in terms of the types of interactions that they've had and those that there were could have potentially ended up and resulted in jail um that that was the number that was diverted i can um go back and um, work with TME and um, members of the hot team to see if we, if and perhaps they do have that data and we can um, look at it more deeply for you. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Jones. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you uh, to all <coughs> and your presentations. <coughs> uh, Ms. Farrick, just if you could, was wondering if uh, there's an update at all on the uh, uh, land bank legislation, trying to get some idea of how we're coming along uh, with that process. Thank you. Yes, Commissioner. Actually, I just um, spoke with Bill Jackson this morning about that, and he is working with uh, Representative Callie to get that uh, moving forward and scheduled for committee. So we are working on that. Um, and as soon as I have more information than that to share, I will certainly get that out to the legislative committee. Very good. Thank you. Thank you much. Uh, Mr. Kilpatrick, thank you again for your presentation. I just want to uh, make mention, I think it's uh, critically important for um, the public to fully understand the, 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 the cost model. And I appreciate you including in the presentation the average baseline cost to construct a new apartment, uh, as well as to construct a single family home, which really speaks to the a critical need for gap funding, um, as well as the strategic role of the housing fund, because uh, 
think without those two things, obviously we can't get to a place of providing opportunities for home ownership unless unless those two things I think are are are, are happening simultaneously. Also, want to suggest, and this is probably for a later conversation. I think if ever there was a time to um, engage our financial institutions, it's probably now. Uh, obviously, along with funders in our community, because. When I think about gap funding, I think about obviously uh, funders and their capacity to help with that. But also when I think about banks and just, again, their capacity to provide everything from uh, special um, op or, or certain opportunities or uh, tools that they can provide around uh, both funding as well as mortgages, uh, because uh, I'm excited about the potential of creating more home ownership opportunities because we've never really had uh, that opportunity uh, for, for at least for as long as I've actually been in town and, and obviously for as long as I've been on the commission, there hasn't been any, there's what's been made available or really are, are the, the housing opportunities for those who are, um, you know, obviously medium to higher income, but, but, but very few opportunities for those who are, who are on either on a fixed income or on an income that's steadily increasing uh, it's just been rental opportunities. Uh, and so excited about what we can do in that space. And uh, clearly, I think everybody's on the same page. I want to see that uh, come to fruition. Um, and for Ms. Bohach, uh, uh, just a quick question, uh, a reminder for the public. Um, the timeline, um, this is from page uh, or slide 34. The timeline around using um, these dollars from the American Recovery Plan Act. Just in general, I know that uh, uh, there may be some who think that we are on a limited timeline and only have like until the end of the year, but just wanted to put it out there in terms of the official timeline that we have. So um, every, um, every program that's in there has a different timeline. Okay. Um, and, um, and actually the terminology, it, it should be labeled American Rescue Plan Act. I apologize. So yep. that's the rescue plan. There, there's so many acts and sorry, between recovery, rescue. <laughs> um, and um, so for example, the home dollars um, that will be coming through that act, um, it's been made very clear that these are not to be considered emergency response. Um, and so it's not necessarily tied to the pandemic. Um, and those resources we have until 2029 to spend. Wow. So all these different little pots of money that's in this act has with it their its own time frames. So it's there. It's all over the place. Um, so well, if, if you could, most, uh, of the, most of them go pretty go out um, into the future pretty significantly. Okay. Yeah, that, that was my question because I just want to make it clear that uh, this is obviously very different than what was in place uh, under the previous uh, administration where the dollars had to be used by the end of the calendar year, um, which I think for some, it felt like there were decisions that were being made that were just about getting money out the door and weren't the most strategic. Whereas this year, we have an opportunity to be very thoughtful, very strategic, which leads me to another question uh, that maybe perhaps the city manager can answer. And that is opportunities uh, to engage in partnership with the county, because uh, I'm, I'm, it's safe to assume again that they are also getting dollars, uh, right? For the uh, with regards to the the, uh, the 
the act or the, the these dollars from the Biden administration, and yet they're not necessarily obligated to uh, provide those dollars to the city. So just wondering what that looks like. And I, I've yet to take a look to see how much the county gets. I've been trying to do my homework because I know that there's a great disparity between uh, our beloved community and uh, the 313 uh, and what they're getting, um, as well as other cities. But just wondering if, if you could uh, speak to that city manager. Thank you, Commissioner Jones, for those questions. Uh, let me all just amend, um, add to Ms. Bohatch's response on, on the timeliness. So just for clarification on the $94 million that we had proposed using for revenue substitution, we have until December 24 to, to spend those funds directly. And so there may be other entitlement funding that we're getting um, from HUD and other areas, as as Pot said, that may have different time frames on on um, expending. Um, in, in terms of um, the collaboration with um, Kent County, I think we I've I've, uh, I've been in a couple of meetings with a county administrator, and it's clear to me they're they're not in a um, they're in assessment mode as it as it appears they're not in um, planning spending mode, their budget cycles different. Uh, they recognize many local units of government have uh, received direct appropriations. And so um, I'm not aware of, I've been in part of many meetings um, in the community along with, with the, at least county administrator and, and, and people have asked around a collective uh, economic uh, development or recovery approach or a collective approach on other issues may, it might be, uh, um, um, broadband or, or fiber, uh, or in even in social uh, justice issues. Actually, we've been part of several conversations around that and in, in increasing uh, economic opportunity. Uh, so I'm not aware of a, a hardcore um, uh, plan with deadlines or anything at the coming out of the county at this point. We've certainly had discussions about it. I think uh, part of uh, what I've heard is um, the recognition that there's going to be some leadership transition in the county. And I think uh, the mayor may have also had similar conversations with the board chair uh, around their intended uses as well. So I say all that to say, I don't know. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just add to what the city manager said, just in case you all didn't know. So what's been allocated to Kent County um, is 127 million, uh, just so you have a sense of how much our county will be getting. But obviously, in addition to that, as the city manager said, other cities and uh, townships and villages will also get a uh, a small allocation based on population and a number of other factors for the formula. And then uh, what I've heard so far from the county is that they're going to um, hopefully get through the, the hiring process for a new county executive, and then they'll come up with a deliberative, thoughtful process, knowing that they have until the end of the year in 2024, and they don't have that rush that they had last year with CARES funding. So I'd say um, to be to be seen what they determine for their process. Let's make a, an amendment to, to that. Now, what, what we just shared um, on the... Um, can you pull up that last slide, um, Sante, on the era round one and round two? Um, that is collaborative. That does reflect a collaborative approach countywide, because if we received our direct allocation, I think we would have only gotten, instead of, the city could have gotten around $6 million or so, 
And because we collaborated, deferred to the issue of housing is counting why we're able to get $40 million. So that is an increased leverage amount. Um, and the same with uh, the round two. I think our, our we could have gotten, uh, what was that amount, uh, Ms. Wilhatch, around four or five million? 4.7 million. 4.7 million directly. And because we said, no, we wanted to take a countywide approach, it's 35 million. Uh, but we know that a lot of people in need are, are are disproportionately people who are in the in the urban area, urban core. So that that is an example of our um, collaboration together that resulted in in better outcomes. And I guess it should be mentioned too that that Kent County um, could have also received a direct allocation of those um, era funds, just like the city. And um, collectively, we made that decision so that we could access the state program. Um, so that there's more um, benefit to all of Kent County residents. But, but that is separate, to your point, separate from the $127 million direct appropriation that they're, they're receiving. Correct. Correct. Thank you much. The mayor, may, might I suggest that we um, have some sort of communication that's posted uh, that really speaks to um, some examples around how those home dollars can be spent. I know it specifies to provide housing, shelter, and supportive services for persons experiencing or at risk of homelessness includes development of affordable housing. I just think that the more that we can um, um, communicate uh, rather clearly what those dollars can be used for, I think that will help in the ongoing conversation with the community. Uh, regarding homelessness and you know what we have available, what we have available, perhaps what the county has available, just just so we can do what we can to have folks on the same page in terms of understanding this is what we have to work with. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good idea, Commissioner. And I, I believe some of that conversation already started when we were allocated the CIRA uh, funds for the community and United Way is taking the lead on allocating and getting those dollars out the door. So we can we can follow up on that. That's that's a good idea. Um, in, in regard to the home um, ARP funds, um, so again, the guidance coming will come from um, HUD by this fall. So we'll have more understanding of any waivers that they put in place because in order for those dollars to work, within the home program structure, the way that it's been allocated, um, what some of the activities that they would like to see communities um, be doing doesn't fit within the home um, statutes and regulations. So there's waivers that will need to be issued. And so again, all that guidance is really critical for us to figure out how we can really use those funds um, uh, when it comes time to allocate those. Um, and also, um, uh, we're, we know that Kent County will be receiving $3.3 million of those same resources um, to, uh, for, of home dollars as well. Thanks, Connie. All right, commissioners, any uh, final questions or comments before we move on? All right, I'll turn it back to the city manager for our next two presentations. Hey, Mayor, thank you. Uh, we'll continue the discussion and uh, talk about economic recovery as well as uh, cannabis. We'll end on a high. Okay. <laughs> wake up. Wake up. I'll, I'll keep my day job. Okay, Mr. DeLong. Hi. Oh, Connie, I'm sorry. It's Go right me. Uh, sorry. Um, 
So the economic resiliency and recovery work group. So we're going to start the economic portion of the presentation. Um, the city manager um, established the economic resiliency and work uh, recovery work group as part of our emergency management response structure for the pandemic. Uh, the team was charged with responding to crisis to support resident and business resiliency and to focus on recovery to build back better once the pandemic passed. So the first um, one, Jenny, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. Somebody's not. Excuse mute, Mr. Bergman, please. I say somebody's muted. I can't take that. Tim Bergman, can you? Is that Tim? I think whoever is hosting the meeting can mute Mr. Bergman. Went to both the Ready Together families um, and then also utilized through. Okay, can, can someone get a hold of uh, who that is? Is it Tim? And just here's who based on these parameters. I'm texting him now. Okay, added, shifted, changed based on the audience. So that was Ready Together. And then uh, also within that, there is. I'm sorry, city manager. It's not allowing me to mute him. By the way, with the conversations with Black River and transition, some of those being based on uh, May, transition um, from preschool to kindergarten teachers. I was but we, I'm calling them. Those individuals okay, were going recess. to be, uh, and then adding to it some of the so ages that are strategic. So, uh, I'm fairly separate city manager can we move him from panelists or? Um, yeah that's what i was going to suggest to mayor we remove him from the changes yeah our city clerk is, is, is at the commission here we go okay thank you all right kind of getting interesting i was listening in <laughs> all right all right Connie, take it away <laughs> okay. So as part of that work, um, the work group um, was charged also with establishing a framework to invest existing and new city resources to respond to the emergency and then to support recovery efforts. Um, the framework was developed on guiding principles that focused on collaboration, identifying and filling gaps, keeping equitable investment in the forefront, and to have a direct connectivity to local uh, to support local and rapid response. Uh, investments were made under four impact areas, uh, resident resiliency, business resiliency and recovery, community activation and transportation and infrastructure. And in FY21, there was um, $750,000 that was prioritized for third ward equity investments under the first three impact areas. $6.8 million of city resources was accumulated for round one of investments. Uh, this was primarily supported by federal CARES Act funding through the Community Development Block Grant and Emergency Solutions Coronavirus um, Supplemental Awards. Other sources included reprogrammed CDBG funds from previous year, uh, parking and mobility programs, the Neighborhood Match Fund, as well as new and reappropriated general operating fund support. Um, this slide shows the breakdown of round one investments by impact areas. So there was $4.2 million um, allocated for resident resiliency, 
$2.4 million for business re resiliency and recovery, and $230,000 for community reactivation efforts. Under community reactivation, the bridge was successful in supporting more than 60 events occurring late August through early October. And outdoor activation was also a key component um, in terms of supporting a number of community businesses. There were nine social zones that were established to help increase, that helped increase pedestrian, pedestri pedestrian traffic um, in the downtown areas. And DGRI provided grants to businesses um, that helped equip them for outdoor services uh, during the winter to activate those spaces. And the use of social zones has been extended through November 1st of this year. And Mr. App is working uh, with neighborhood businesses on establishing additional zones and districts through his role as the retail retention and, and attraction specialist. That's a nice long title. So we are um, in the process of um, round two of our ERIS investments. Um, this allocates an additional $1.2 million of the CDBG CV funds, and it's known as CV3 program. Um, Mr. DeLong provided an overview of these investments last week in his presentation in the um, workshop last week as well, um, but it's planned to continue to support um, a variety of activities that support health and safety measures for homeless persons in particular in our high traffic community spaces and at shelters, um, continued some support for um, small businesses, um, providing um, community reactivation efforts um, through pop-up markets and neighborhoods, um, establishing or supporting neighborhood learning hubs for continued um, out of, um, education enhancement for the, the learning gap that's occurred, as well as mental health services for uninsured and underinsured residents, um, and um, neighborhood cleanups, um, something that um, our public services department um, does have some budget for on an annual basis, um, but this will allow them to um, provide more service um, and uh, to help clean out from uh, those who um, um, have maybe did not have the resources to um, get big items out of, of out of their um, out of their homes and garages and things like that, um, and then we also um, are supporting um, additional um, activities for our um, park ambassadors and summer camps at four um, parks um, in in the community this summer, starting in June. Thank you, Connie. Now let's. Uh... Move on, but before we do, I, I want to say that we did receive uh, some feedback regarding the presentation last week, and we're we have that under uh, advisement as it uh, pertains to uh, round two of various uh, investments. We appreciate your your feedback on that. So now, looking forward, um, what are we doing to operationalize equitable economic development, and how do we do that in the best possible way? So uh, you know the. Uh, recent planning efforts have really provided a solid framework for moving forward. Uh, the Southtown Business Area Specific Plan was one of the first efforts of that nature. Uh, then we've got the Grand Rapids um, Equitable Economic Development and Mobility Strategic Plan, and then Division United. All of those, plus the ARIS investments, provide a platform for uh, moving forward, we believe. Next slide. 
So uh, we've also done work uh, with uh, Concierge and uh, Business Advisor uh, Services, and we did that work for several years through fiscal 2020. And you can see the uh, organizations that were involved in that with us, and um, we did. They did some good work um, through uh, the uh, resource constricted uh, uh, fiscal 21 budget and the uncertainty during the COVID. Those contracts were not renewed, but we did pivot to another uh, type of business assistance, and that was to help secure uh, resources and uh, and also applicants for our business grant program. And our partners uh, pivoted with us through that um, through the through the pandemic and helped us with uh, that service and did a really good job. During that time, they also uh, some of them also were engaged in the River Equity Project and other other activities. Um, but you know we were we had to pivot and um, and we did and um, people kind of pivoted with us as we went. So as we as we move forward, uh, we've been working on policy based on the plans that we've uh, adopted and completed. So the inclusion plan for economic uh, development incentives that uh, Mr. Garcia talked about today is a direct result of the Equitable Economic Development and Mobility Plan. And uh, that's in place now and is pr producing uh, really good results already. The River Equity Plan is widely um, regarded as a, a, a awesome effort by uh, staff who were involved in that and also by the community. And we've increased through that program the number of MLBEs that are registered uh, considerably. I think we're up to around 80 total MLBEs now, which is a, almost doubling the number that we have. The, um, uh, we've got a local business purchasing incentive in place. Uh, our, our MLBE construction program, also um, the, the VITA, the Voluntary Economic Development, which in its uh, most recent um, uh, form, it comes through as the Boston Square Initial Voluntary Equi uh, Equitable Development and Community Partnership Agreement, which is helping drive that project forward. We're also investing in infrastructure. So the first two uh, projects you see here, Evergreen and Fuller, um, Evergreen Street and Fuller Avenue, are directly related to the Boston Square um, uh, Together development. And uh, we'll provide that infrastructure as part of the uh, our commitment to helping that project be successful. Also, we're, we'll be doing work on Godfrey Avenue, Lake Eastbrook Boulevard, which some people may say, well, why is that listed? And uh, you know that the, uh, the work that we're doing around Centerpoint Mall, but also uh, the housing community that Centerpoint serves um, and Lake Eastbrook serves is uh, really important to us. We want to make sure we have good facilities there. And then there are other other streets as well. Next slide. So as we move forward, um, you know, the heiress investments that we've talked about now over the last two um, two meetings uh, are, are the first step. So we've done the small business grants. We're recommending that we do seasonal pop-up markets and we'll implement those this year. We're uh, working on how to support MLBE businesses and at what level, and uh, also the COVID business adaptation program. And if you look at even a step back, the BRIP grants that we've done in the past, all those are examples of first steps in recovery and, um, and reinvestment. Now, as we move forward, what we are recommending is that we consider an ARPA investment of $500,000 as the next level of investment and that we would consider that as part of the post-budget uh, process. And what we suggest that we consider is renewing investment in the delivery of proven 
economic development service organizations, concierge services directly to small businesses within our within our neighborhood corridor improvement authorities and within within our business community. And that we also can we begin to pilot other tools to accelerate equitable development um, outcomes in those areas. So with that, I'd like to turn it to uh, Ms. Turbelson, who will talk to us about our efforts regarding uh, cannabis. Thank you, Mr. DeLong, and thank you, Mayor and Commission. Uh, in July of 2020, the City Commission approved the Cannabis Policy Policy alongside a series of land use policies that allowed for recreational cannabis to operate within the city. Within each of our policy, Within each of our policies, every effort was made to embed equity and support the and support equitable participation in the cannabis industry. 23 out of 31 of the cannabis facilities operating within the city have made some uh, social equity commitments. So this next slide provides a financial snapshot of the cannabis program. So in general, we will see a decline in the revenues for land use, uh, in part due to, due to the decreasing amount of cannabis eligible land but also market saturation. We will see an increase in licensing revenues, um, which will average over a half million dollars. And we will also, you'll note, see a steady increase in the state revenue excise tax that will be coming back to the city. Um, the amount of ta uh, tax revenue we'll receive is a formula that utilizes statewide sales divided by the number of cannabis retail facilities within each municipality. So the expenditures largely result from staff time. You'll recall that in 2020, the city hired a cannabis manager, Al Romero Gibu, who supports the cannabis program and ensures that all of the ordinances and all of the equity commitments are going to be adhered to. The remaining efforts will help support the efforts outlined in the social equity policy and other city initiatives. Next slide. So this slide provides a status on the number of facilities that are in operation today. So it's important to note that these numbers are not additive. It's meant to be um, seeing how many medical facilities and how many recre recreational facilities. But in most of the cases, they are one facility operating with two separate licenses. So that meaning that most of the facilities that are in operation will either sell, grow, or process both medical and recreational cannabis in one facility. So in case you're wondering, we do have a total of 14 facilities that are currently in operation. And again, many of which have multiple licenses. Next slide. So this slide provides another comparative look between the number of land use approvals that have been granted compared to the number of licenses, licenses that have been issued to date. So you'll see, you'll see that we still have a number of operators that are working their way through the various stages of either construction permitting and or the licensing process. Slide. So an added layer of interest for us is the fact that the state and city fiscal years do not align. Uh, the state excise tax is based on the state's timeline. So we can begin expecting to see our local share in fiscal year 22, roughly March, we anticipate. So as a little fun fact uh, that for the state's fiscal year 2020, uh, per establishment payment was $28,000 for each retail facility that was operating in the state of Michigan. So there's a few horizon issues that we're uh, tracking here. Um, first, we're beginning to see some compliance challenges emerging in both the local ownership and supplier diversity categories. Uh, but we are developing an administrative policy that will have, help us navigate those challenges equitably. Out of the 31 recreational cannabis facility or applicants, pardon me, we had one applicant that qualified as an equity applicant. 
the majority of the potential applicants have expressed financial challenges in their efforts to obtain licensing. But we do believe that the social equity fund uh, could serve as a potential countermeasure to, that to those challenges. We are also seeing a trend in the medical facilities that are transitioning to fully recreational. Uh, this would mean less licensing revenue for the city, but it also probably means a likely increase in the state excise revenue that would be returned back to the city. You may recall that the state's cannabis rules allowed for special licensing types, including marijuana events and designated consumption establishments. Staff is currently working on an analysis of those future uses with a strong focus on business participation of equity applicants and local resident ownership. And our last horizon issue that we wanted to bring forward is just understanding the amount of cannabis eligible land is limited. Uh, most of the land that is eligible is located in our industrial zone districts, which would require a grower or processor component. But recall the changes that were made both uh, back in 2020, we did open up a significant amount of land, relatively speaking, of course, that is still available for micro businesses that can operate um, in several of the city's own districts. So the Cannabis Justice Workgroup is developing a framework for the establishment of a new nonprofit. And that nonprofit will be established to empower under-resourced communities by implementing equity-driven investment strategies which the city cannot do due to restrictions of uh, the use of public funds. So the nonprofit would be capitalized by the state, capitalized in part by the state shared excise revenue, as well as participation by the local industry. So the proposed fiscal year 22 budget includes professional services that would help us establish that nonprofit. And uh, we look forward to bringing that forward to the city commission uh, in the near future. So thank you, Mayor and Commission, for the opportunity to update you on the city's cannabis program, and I will turn it back over to the city manager. Thank you, uh, Mr. Turkelson. Mayor, I think we're uh, at the point where we can pause for questions. All right, I, I, and uh, the city manager, just to confirm, it, that's the last presentation we have, right? That is correct, Mayor. Okay, all right, I'm like, I know we still have executive session to go back into, but I didn't know if we had to pause and. Uh, have uh, more discussion on any of these topics. So, uh, I, uh, commissioners, uh, I'll just say thank you for these presentations, very detailed and thorough. Um, there's a lot that we should be proud of that we've worked on and uh, seeing the numbers before us today and these updates, uh, it's really encouraging and I appreciate all the work that went into it. Um, so I'll turn to my colleagues just for questions or comments. Commissioner Moody, good to have you back. All right, commissioners, questions or comments? Uh, Commissioner Jones. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you to all who uh, made the presentations this round. Um, I uh, appreciate what was presented around economic resiliency and recovery work group. I um, continue to look for ways in which we can uh, fund or support our neighborhood associations, especially for such a time as this. Uh, and their efforts to continue to do the work that they've been called to do um, to get people back out and engage in community and uh, anything that we can do to, again, provide uh, additional dollars to neighborhood associations would be greatly appreciated. And I've said before, um, also wanting to do all that we can to make sure that we're um, intentional in helping um, to create uh, even new neighborhood associations um, throughout the city. I, I often uh, have the opportunity to, to, to brag about the 
um, neighborhood associations that we have uh, in the second ward, uh, very active. Uh, they cover a lot of territory and um, just have, have, have had a really good uh, solid track record in terms of engaging the neighbors. And I would love to see it to where every uh, ward has that opportunity uh, for coverage and, and engagement. And so my hope is that we would continue to find ways to have every neighborhood who desires to, to be, to have, a, to have a neighborhood association, to, to get that opportunity. I also wanna, wanna state uh, um, a couple things um, publicly, and this is just my, my humble opinion. I know that we've, I have uh, seen a number of um, uh, remarks or uh, commentary that's been made regarding um, what is seen as the inequity around uh, cannabis ownership opportunities in our city. And I just want to say, again, this is just my opinion. Uh, the, the, the industry itself uh, was not set up to be a benefit to ownership uh, for African-American Latinx folk. Uh, and so I know that there are those who feel very strongly that uh, perhaps we're not doing all that we can as a city. But my response would be that um, I think from the very beginning, uh, as it was being legalized and the opportunities were being created, it did not have in mind how it would benefit the black and brown folk uh, who have, again, historically, it's been an albatross around our necks in terms of it being criminalized. And now that it's legal, uh, the absolute liquid uh, 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 dollars that are needed uh, to even to be in play, uh, to be a business owner is um, unrealistic. Uh, if you look at it through historic lens and understanding that uh, black and brown folk and, and the struggle to actually have or create and develop wealth. And so um, I don't know how much more we can do legally. Uh, I have people who always respond or push for the micro, uh, the micro business. Uh, I can appreciate that. Uh, and and I, I would in no way stand in the, I would, I would encourage folks to go in that direction. At the same time, uh, wouldn't it be great if there were opportunities that could be provided for uh, black and brown folk to tap into something other than uh, a micro uh, opportunity. And, and so I think for those who are, for the public that's listening, please know that uh, the way in which this, the law is written, the legislation is done, um, again, I, I won't use the word impossible, but I would say nearly impossible, I think, from the beginning for folks who, uh, who are of a darker hue to actually be major players uh, in this space uh, around cannabis. So thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, commissioners, other questions or comments? Commissioner Isasi. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to, it's on slide 45, um, the funds available for program. I think this was kind of like last time. So I just want to make sure. So. At this point, the $605,000, it's the expected unspent business grant assistance dollars. So that will roll over into this next fiscal year. Is that what I'm understanding correctly from the slide? Uh, I'm sorry, um, Commissioner, are you referring to um, the um, the ERIS investment? ERIS round two. Yeah, ERIS round two additional 1.2 million Yes, CDBG program. Right. So, um, so that includes um, some things that needed to that would be reprogrammed. So, so there was one hundred and eight 
um, grants provided to the small business grant program. So the funds that were reserved for that program that remain unspent will again get wrapped into this. So although there's $1.2 million of additional um, funds coming in, that, that $1.8 million includes those, in essence, reprogrammed funds. Okay, thank you. I'm sorry, go ahead, Commissioner. Did you have a follow-up question? Sorry about that. Uh, Commissioner Rappart? Yeah, thanks, Mayor. Uh, I just have two questions. One is, I think it's the same slide that Commissioner Isasi was just referring to, the kind of the second round of ARIS investments, that $1.2 million. Um, how is that going to be rolled out and communicated? Because I know that there's, even just since last week, I've had a few conversations with people and they have a lot of questions that I don't have answers to. And then my second question is, you know, so we made the decision to kind of change our relationships with like Grab and the Hispanic Chamber and those kinds of things. Um, you know, I'm interested to know a little bit more why, but also, you know, how, are, are we, do we have a plan to stay engaged with those entities and, and how, do, how, do, how are we hoping to um, continue to honor those partnerships with the people that we've worked with for quite a few years? So in um, response to the um, first part of your question, um, we will be coming to um, the city commission asking, we, we need to have a budget amendment, first of all, for um, that $1.2 million to actually be um, appropriated in our um, community development budget. So even though we um, have availability of those funds, we have to get it budgeted. Um, and we also need to do um, a substantial plan amendment. So we will include um, this into our our ERIS investment strategy and post it in terms of that public, um, making it publicly available. Um, this is um, continuing on the path of the um, CARES Act um, funds and process that has a shortened um, public um, uh, um, public notice period. It's only required to be um, out and established for five days, unlike the 30-day comment in a typical um, substantial plan amendment. So this is um, still following that format where we um, put make the investments, um, plan investments um, identified, published it, um, and then if, if uh, there's no requirement for a public hearing, but of course, if anyone wants to provide any comments about that, um, we take that into consideration as well. And then, uh, Commissioner, I'd like to follow up on uh, Mrs. Bahach's explanation. If you recall, last uh, week during the presentation, we talked about uh, these investments that would require some type of process, either a purchasing process or RFP process. So there'll be plenty of information out as we are, once we get through the process that uh, Ms. Bahach described and into the um, either the proposal or the purchasing process, there'll be plenty of information about opportunities to uh, to get involved in the in, in those investments then then if we could continue the the dialogue um mr delong yes. found the relationship with our some of our esos and partners and just be as transparent as possible about what happened that changed the um nature of the relationship and uh, because of the economy 
recession and what our efforts were to salvage it and what, what those opportunities are moving forward. Yeah, so I would say, thank you, uh, City Manager. I would say that we've never lost touch with those partners, uh, that uh, we've continued to work with them over time. We may have not always communicated as well as we could, um, but uh, we we have strong relationships with them and we're um, looking forward to moving forward together. So uh, during the uh, budget uh, last year, it uh, became apparent that resources were constricted and that um, that you know the pandemic was upon us and we had uh, a myriad of issues we needed to take care of. And so um, including uh, establishing the housing fund and some other other things that we needed to um, take care of. So uh, we, we did not renew the contracts for uh, those four um, entities that are listed on, on slide 47. We did though stay in contact with them. And when it came time to do the business grant program, we enrolled um, some of them to, and actually picked up a couple of other ones to uh, do. Um, so we had a couple drop out, a couple new ones to do the, um, the public information and the recruitment for the business grant program. And uh, they were they earned a, they earned a fee and a stipend for that for their professional services, and also um, some of them were also involved in the river equity project as well. So it wasn't the same, you know, it was different work, but it was um, it was work that uh, in the area of economic development within our community. So now we have an opportunity to uh, rethink that to uh, know what uh, we know we accomplished under the prior program through fiscal 20 and uh, prior programs, I should say, and uh, understand their value. And so that's why we've now made the recommendation that this would be an excellent use of ARPA money to begin uh, not only reestablishing those uh, concierge services in terms of a, uh, a relationship with uh, these, these parties and perhaps others, but also um, look at other types of investments we could make to help facilitate um, economic development within our corridor improvement authorities. So one of the ideas, for example, that we had uh, that actually came out of the third ward equity program uh, was um, either loan guarantees or some type of loan facility. And we, we could not find a way to implement that. So that money was rolled over into the, the BRIP program, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested in wh whether we can, find a way to get that done, you know, working through perhaps the uh, social equity fund or in another way to um, help uh, help help uh, with small business loans to get things going. So that's why we made the recommendation. It's it's time to um, consider uh, restoring that. Okay. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, commissioners, other questions or comments? All right, then we'll uh, go ahead and uh, finish up this uh, budget review workshop. We do have public comment today as a part of this, uh, and then we'll adjourn this workshop, um, and then I'll ask for a motion to go back into executive session. Probably shouldn't be, but another um, 20, 25 minutes in executive session, and then we'll finish up and be back together tonight at 7. So uh, I will open it up for public comment. So if anyone is wishing to be heard, you can call 456-3000 or 311. And uh, let's see, who is, is it Doug that is helping with that today? Yes, ma'am, it's Doug. Hi, Doug. Yes, Do we have anyone who wishes to be heard? 
Uh, right now, there are, are no callers in the queue. Okay, I'll just wait. I'll just wait a, a few seconds. Maybe, uh, maybe during this time that we wait to see if anyone calls in, I'll go ahead and for a motion to go back into executive session. Can I get a motion to go back into executive session? Well, support. All right, moved and supported. Um, I'll go through and do a voice vote. Commissioner Ruppert? Yes. Uh, Commissioner O'Connor? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Jones? Yes, I shall return. All right, Commissioner Isasi? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Moody? Yes. And Commissioner Lanier? Aye. Thank you. Uh, and that will be again to finish up our conversation about some legal opinions. Uh, City Manager? If we're still filling time, Mayor, uh, I do have a couple of remarks I'd like to add before we close. Sure. Yep. Go ahead, City Manager. Okay. Um, th thank you again. I want to thank the staff for their work and just uh, kind of next steps in, in the process. Your next meeting is on the 18th, our next work session. And um, what we'll do, we'll follow up with any questions that uh, we have yet to answer in writing or in public. And that will be uh, your opportunity to deliberate, um, provide additional feedback, and um, as well on the, the 20th, which will be the, uh, the day that we are anticipating a, a vote by the commission. So. Uh, at this point, we are, other than the questions that have been asked, we are not going to bring forth any new items uh, for briefing on the 18th. Thank you, City Manager. Uh, all right, Doug, anyone in the queue? Sorry, I was talking on mute. No, no there, are, there are no callers in the queue. Okay, I'll close that opportunity for public comment then. We'll go ahead and adjourn this budget workshop. Again, I just want to thank all the staff um, who's worked hard to bring all this information before us. There's a lot of, a lot of things in these uh, presentations we should be celebrating, you know, especially the, the information that Ms. Bohat shared about the amount of money we'll have to uh, go towards housing. You know, when you look at that number, it's almost $100 million. So we have a lot of work we, we have before us. We know it's a big issue, um, but there's... Fortunately, some federal support to help us address um, a lot of these complex issues that we've been working on for years. So uh, with that, we'll go ahead and end our budget workshop. Commissioners, why don't we take a quick five minute break and uh, then go into executive session at like 3, 310. All right, thanks. <laughs>